and I know for me it's all these months with all these hours of putting in and I don't want I'm not going to quit obviously I'm not going to quit now but putting all this time in I want to be in that moment as long as possible but every second clicks away and it's almost over but I want to be in it as long as possible mm-hmm. because I've earned it and I think that's the first the third person who's doing the, the Ironman the first time you've earned being here you've earned this feeling that you can only experience while you're in it and it's over and it's like ah oh, and that's why people sign up the next day it's like crap right, I want right. to feel this again it's overwhelming to get here but I love this feeling now And a big welcome back to the Endurance Hour podcast. Back alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. This is episode 380, uh, a week out for me, uh, well, 10 days, because I, I leave next week for uh, Ironman Arizona. And there are lots of events that are going on. People are posting that they're still racing. I, I know people are still racing, but it's like it's 30 degrees outside where I live right now. There's snow on the ground. There's ice. It's Actually, it was 20 degrees when I woke up this morning. I can't even think about other people in these warm environments, but they are. They're out there. And I know in just a matter of a week, I'll be in Arizona. Uh, Wendy, before we get started, 31 miles, 7,000 feet of elevation gain. What are you doing? I thought you, this is your off season. It is my off season. I'm doing some <laughs> fun events. So I did recently do a 50K and my I two intentions. Number one was to run with a friend. And number two was to see the views. Because yeah. it's just a beautiful area this time of year. And both of those didn't happen. So oh. I, was a, I was a little disappointed because there's no rhyme or reason. And I wouldn't have signed up for a 50K this time, you know, one month after I just did Kona. But I, I did do it for those two reasons. And unfortunately, none of them happened. But I still was able to use my fitness and get through the event. The only thing that I was lacking was sport specificity because I haven't been doing that type of elevation on the trails and it was just a kind of another wake up call to let me know what my, my strengths and my weaknesses are. And, you know, if I want to focus on that distance or not in the future. Well, tell us where the, those views were that you're looking to achieve. So I was in sky Valley, Georgia, which is okay. Raven, Raven County. And I've been attracted to this race for years since I've moved to Georgia because I have just been following it. And again, the views just look amazing with the reds, the yellows, the greens, and just, I just wanted to be part of that. And then when my friend, and I don't know if I should say his name, but former team Timex teammate asked me to do a ultra event with him. This is the one I suggested. And this was like four months ago when I was, you know, really in the training and into being really fit and getting ready for Kona. I'm like, sure, why not? And, you know, it was a little bit of a scramble after Kona to, you know, get my mindset and kind of get some trail running legs back. But again, I'm doing it with a friend and I'm like, ah, it's just, you know, going to be kind of casual, um, get him through his first 50 K that's fun. That's exciting. That was exciting to me. And, um, he ends up, he's injured right now, so he couldn't make it. And so I was a little competitive with myself more than I should have been because I, again, I didn't do sports specificity. I just used my strength and endurance to get with it. And I was a little bit just, you know, more competitive because I was alone and I ended up doing fairly well. Um, I know I have room for improvement. So that actually gets me excited to want to start training again on the trails 
Um, maybe not now at this moment in time, but definitely into the new year and into the 2023 season. Well, looking at your your T2 coaching, T2 Coach Wendy Instagram page and some of the, post, the pictures you posted, I'm curious what the, the vibe is in the air when you have all these people with reflective gear on, the headlamps as they're getting ready to take on these long distances on the trails. It must just kind of be an, an interesting vibe, just probably like when you're in transition before an Ironman. Um, a, li- a little bit. So because I am consider myself a beginner, probably more intermediate trail runner now, I'm not a beginner, but I'm definitely not an, an advanced elite trail runner like I am a triathlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get the nerves that I, and the it's a different nervousness and a different excitement than I do for triathlon. Um, we're not getting in the water. So that's yeah. I, to me really helpful, even though swimming is a strength of mine. I, I never really look forward to getting in water. Um, generally, it's on the cold side. And so it's it's more like the anticipation for me of getting my mind set on I'm about to do a marathon plus five miles or mm-hmm. I'm about to do a five mile warm up and then a marathon. And so that's <laughs> yeah. kind of how I approached this this 50K yeah. and getting my mindset on the elevation. I've done, you know, trail races in the past with quite a bit of vertical and, but, but I've trained for that. Like I, that was on preparation. Like I knew ahead of time, I knew what my goals were. This one was a little different. So it's definitely very more casual. There's less people. Um, we know we're all in it for the long haul. There's a very, in my mind, based on my experience, a very small group of the elite top three, top five in the men's and women's age group that are going for that podium spot. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, um, it's a lot of, I think, athletes, runners running with their spouses and or friends. And so, you know, I was out there alone quite a bit, but I was also passed and I passed others. And they, they, I knew there were a couple or there were like good friends doing this together. They were starting and, and they're running the whole thing together. And I haven't done that yet in trail racing. I'm always by myself. I usually don't know anyone. So for the, this particular event, I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. I did meet people along the way because after we did, you know, about the first eight miles, because it was generally three and three to four miles up, three to four miles down, three to four miles up, three to four miles down. You get to know people like I pass people on the uphill and then they crush me on the downhill. And then we meet up, kind of meet up at the aid station and then I push past them on the uphill and they get me on the downhill. So you kind of get to know people's strengths and weaknesses and you start chatting with them. I start listening to other conversations from other groups of, you know, what races they've done, what their experience is. So there's a lot of, in my mind, chatting going on throughout the nature of the event, which is something you don't get in triathlon. And it's at such a much lower intensity. It's Mm -hmm. definitely tough, high intensity as you're going uphill, but it's definitely the whole, the whole vibe is we're all in this together. We're all supporting each other. We're all just trying to get from point A to point B healthy and not get injured and enjoy the views, enjoy the beauty of nature. So it's a a jog where you're actually having conversations and is there a certain pace that it ends up being like, we're talking about 11 minute pace, 10 minute pace, 12 minute pace. For this particular event with elevation, it was about a 15 minute pace. Okay. And so, you know, on average, on on average, after all is said and done, um, my 
you know, again, my Strava told me my run, um, my, my time being active was like six hours and 59 minutes, but my mm-hmm. overall time was seven and a half. Got it. I didn't stop that much at the aid stations, but I, I do know some of the inclines were so steep. Uh, I'm sure my Garmin didn't think I was moving because <laughs> I was going so slow. Yeah. And so yeah. there's definitely a little discrepancy in, in that, that metric data that that's posted out there. But in the general, you know, we're just, you know, in my mind, I'm a, maybe a little more competitive than others because I get, I, I personally get frustrated when I get passed by so many athletes on the descent. And then again, after the first eight miles, I, I was reminded, oh, it's not a big deal. You're going to pass them on the ascent. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. And so it, you know, it's always a learning opportunity and it's always a challenge. And when you cross the finish line, it's always great. Cause you're just like, oh my gosh, this is what I just did. Yeah. I did a marathon plus five miles with 7,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. With our huge focus on training plans through training peaks with triathletes in mind, where do ultra athletes and trail runners get their training plans? Because you're talking about preparing your body for the elevation gain or the downhill running or the overall strength and core. Where do people find these plans? And I, we haven't discussed, I don't know if there's a big enough audience to create a trail running plan for ultra runners. Right. So great question. So when I did my first ultra back in 2011, I did a a 50 mile race in Steamboat, Colorado. Same thing. I just done Ironman Lake Placid six weeks later, you know, after Ironman Lake Placid, I decided I'm going to jump into this 50 mile event because I knew the race director. So again, I had no sports specificity, no training at all on the trails at all. And I jump in this 50 mile race because you know what? I just did an Ironman. I'm thinking it's about 12, it's about 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Definitely um, not the same, especially with all the elevation gain and loss. And at that time, those early on years, I was searching for training plans and there was like nothing. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't find books. I, that Back then we used to go to the library <laughs> and um, bookstores and I just couldn't find anything. Um, now there are, if you, if you just do a Google search, you know, ultra 50 K 50 mile, hundred mile training plans, there are some generic ones online. The problem with the generic ones is they don't take into account the terrain that an athlete may be running on. They're more generic in the sense that they give you maybe a 12 to 16 week schedule of certain amount of mileage to target each day of the week. And the main thing for an ultra runner is, is doing like back to back long run days. So as a, I'm going to use Ironman as an example, as an Ironman triathlete, your longest run is anywhere between maybe 16 and 22 miles, depending on your experience. Well, as an ultra runner training for, um, a 50 K we're going to do 20 miles on Saturday and 10 miles on Sunday or, or the same thing for a 50 miler. So we're doing two long runs two days in a row. So if I was training for a 50 miler, I would try to target, you know, 20 miles on Saturday, 20 miles on Sunday. And Mm. so the, the key workouts are on the trails and you're trying to get very specific terrain to the terrain that you're going to race on. And then during the week, some plans, again, those generic plans just give you mileage. Some of the generic plans will add, um, some specificity like today's your speed work. Today's your tempo day. Today's your recovery day. Today's your long day. 
but there's not much out there. And one of my goals for 2022 is to actually create a 50K plan for you and I to discuss and, and post it on um, Training Peaks. And so I have two more months to get that done, less than two months to get that done. I still want to work on it because now that I have all this experience, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have the credibility as an yeah. experienced athlete as well as coach that I feel confident that I can put together a pretty good plan that we do coaching videos for so mm-hmm. so the athlete understands the nature of the plan as as well as just the nature of how important sports specific intensity and elevation is to trail running you don't you know when i my second ultra you know the next year in 2012 i did again i still did too much running on the road not enough trail running not enough elevation and again it was just another learning experience I attempted my first hundred. I didn't finish it. Again, I just didn't do enough sports specificity. So the third year, 2013, I said I want to do the, I want to finish this hundred in steamboat, and I I did do a lot more trail running for that race, and I finished. So it's definitely um, different different type of thing to do. And I don't know if everyone out there knows, but Ironman World Triathlon Corporation recently, within the last year or two, purchased some, I think it's maybe the, the UTMB, which is the ultra running world series events. They've purchased some events. And so mm. Ironman is getting more involved in the ultra running community world. Has anyone mentioned in your passing conversations of what they did to prepare for some of these, these runs that are include thousands of feet of elevation? Um, not, not really. I mean, I think the, or again, early on, I had friends because I knew the race director that I did run rabbit run in steamboat. And so they would try to help me verbally, you yeah. know, how to, how to run downhill. But for someone like me, I, I want, I need someone side by side me running with me. I need a, I need a, a running coach who can dominate on, you know, knows a lot more about downhill running technique, just mm. like I help people with technique on the deck. I need someone with me to help me with my running technique on, um, trails with, rocks and roots and it's more technical to help me with the technique so it was for the most part the friends that I knew early on were just mileage mileage based run a lot of mileage and you know this day and age it seems like um like all the ultra running podcasts that I follow now that weren't available back then it's all about not necessarily the mileage it's about if you're going to run an event like I just did with 7,000 feet of elevation gain then your goal is to run as much elevation gain as you can over the course of the week. So mm. if you're going to run 7,000 feet in one race, try to target at least 7,000 during the week, if not more. And so it's it's less about mileage and more about the terrain and the elevation, if that's something that you're going to do. Yeah, it makes me very curious. You know, there's some, like, for example, when I did, uh, I've done three Xterra's. And I was not prepared whatsoever for the trail running. Mm-hmm. And it was, and these are, these are like almost like sprint and distances, but the right. time you're out in the course is more like an Olympic just because you're going slower. And right. Yeah. It's, it's twice the, twice the length the time, but it sh- the, the distance is shorter. And I was really surprised on how hard it was, uh, the power output that I needed to put in the bike. And then the running was just like frustrating because, you know, you have some accelerations, you have some decelerations. So 
when you're doing ultras, now I'm getting really curious about this, is mm-hmm. are there, um, not standard, but what can you expect in terms of how long you will be in an upward upward climb? Because I know it all varies. But mm-hmm. like if you're if you're practicing, you know, you do intervals like, OK, I'm going to do an interval on, on the flat road, but I'm going to go hard for, you know, 30 seconds or I'm going to go hard for a quarter mile or half a mile mm-hmm. and then I'm going to get back to a normal speed. How do you plan for on average these inclines are going to be a quarter mile or a mile of straight up walking and then I can go down? For, you? D- how can you plan for the unknown of the terrain? Well, you know that you can look at the course profile before the event. And so, you know, this specific course profile was, you know, again, the three to four miles up and then down. You're taking notes with you, like, or people have like little wristbands that go, okay, now I know the next three miles I can prepare to go uphill. Um, you just know, you you know, because you looked at the course terrain before. Okay. And so, and you have your Garmin and you have your GPS telling you, and I had mine mostly on elevation. I, I was like, okay, I know I can go the distance. I just want to know when I'm getting the elevation. You know, wh- when did I get hit a thousand feet? When did I hit two thousand, three thousand? Because I knew I would have to average around five hundred feet a gain per mile. No, per two miles. Per two miles. So in the limited training that I did between Kona and this event. Mm-hmm. I would go out to, we have a mountain um, called Kennesaw Mountain, and it's one mile up and one mm-hmm. mile down, which is 500 feet. So I would do one mile up, one mile down, one mile up, one mile down, get in four miles, get in a thousand feet of elevation, and I'd get an approximate time of how long they'd take me. If I was on the road, I was faster than if I did that on the trail because we had both options. And I didn't have enough time to actually go to the Northern Georgia mountains and do three miles up, three miles down. That's what I need to start doing in the future. And so one day I got on the treadmill and I put it between 10 and 15% incline. And I just walked at three miles an hour to get in three miles and to get in the elevation. And then I typed in a calculator online because I wanted to know walking three miles an hour at 10% incline on a treadmill, how much elevation gain would, would that theoretically get me outside? And so, yeah, you just kind of know by looking at, um, the course profile, what you're about to encounter now, you know, I'm someone generally who doesn't really pay attention to many course profiles when it comes to triathlon, but for ultra running, I do because it's still like, it's new to me. It's still Mm. something that I'm learning from and Um, I want to train properly for it because there's not really many, there's no specific plan for the Sky Valley 50K that I could have followed online. Hey, this is how you train for the 50K. But the race director did a good job with videos. He's from Atlanta. And so he actually put out a video. He was very much into wanting all the newbies to be successful. So he was giving us advice about how to train. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, if you can't train outside, this is what you should do on the treadmill and or the step mill. And this is, you know, why you should do this and that. And he was really good about giving us some some good tips and tricks. OK, that makes more sense. Um, I think if you uh, for the triathletes, the the bike course profile uh-huh. and knowing if you I think if you a person and this is this helps has helped me in Coeur d'Alene because this is my backyard uh, half and full is that 
if I know where I can hit it the hardest and be efficient versus, all right, now I have to suck it up and deal with this incline. I can be faster than the other person who's not prepared, who's not unfamiliar with, okay, this is a mile and a half climb. If they uh -huh. go too hard, they're good. I'll catch you later because I know that you're going to bring yourself out. But if I pace it correctly in the certain areas and you can do the same thing with looking at these profiles. And I, that's why I asked you about the wristband, for example, because that's what I did for my last, the, the uh -huh. half in quarter lanes. Like, okay, I know this elevation for 1.8 miles is going to be that, that kind of a climb. And then I got 2.3 miles of flat or decline. So there I can make up or I can really get into an air position or I can catch up on, you know, my legs or hydration, mm -hmm. something like that. And I'll, I'm, go ahead. No, and that's a really good point. So most ultra runners dominate on the descents. All my races that I've done up at the, this point, I dominate on the uphills. Mm -hmm. And even for me, the times that I've actually trained for these events and my personal downhill has gotten better, I'm still pretty weak on the downhills compared to most ultra runners. So the ultra running is all about hiking up and running hiking. down. And so um, I had to train my body to not run uphill. I like running uphill, but I had to train my muscles to be able to hike uphill over, over the last few years of me doing ultras, you know, intermittently. And so, so trail runners know as soon as they get over the crest of this three mile climb, they're going to, you know, haul downhill. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to stop at the aid station and then they're going to hike again. They're going to have to hike again and dominate on the downhill. Now in this particular event, when I got to the last aid station, let's say mile, you know, it was like between 22 and 24, again, me and this guy were going back and forth. All of a sudden we're on a dirt road and he told me we did this like mile or two up this dirt road. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a dirt road. This is awesome. This is my strength. And I took off and then we got back on the trail and he caught up to me and he goes, I saw what you did. He goes, you're, st you're still really strong on the uphills. And he explained to me what, cause he had done it before, what the last six miles of the course were going to be like, which I didn't know, which I was glad he told me because he told me that there was going to be another uphill on the road and the, the final three miles were downhill on the road. And so for me, knowing that I'm like, okay, all those people that I just crushed uphill, they're not going to pass me because I'm going to crush them running downhill on the road. Cause it's not a trail. Mm -hmm. And so that helped me mentally know mm -hmm. we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And my strength happened to come the last eight miles of this course which I wouldn't have known until, unless he told me. So I was really relieved that he told me about the road coming up. You know, I'm thinking about that with, you know, 10 days to go or so. I'm looking at the elevation gain at Ironman, Arizona. And you think Arizona is going to be pretty flat. It is for the most part. The elevation gain is 2,500 feet. It's three loops. So it's going to be 800 feet or so per loop. And knowing that the first half of it is a gradual incline, even though it doesn't seem like it because, you know, you're out there in the flat course of Arizona, right. but the second half of it coming back, that's where, and if anyone's happened to be listening to this, who's doing Arizona, that's where you can strategically go. All right. Uh, stay steady on the way out. Maybe you're going to get some speed on the, on the, on the way back, use that speed to relax or just, you know, high cadence. So your legs don't get burned out. Don't push too hard or use the strength for your out and then cruise on the way back or whatever you want to do, but know what it is. That way you can plan accordingly and knowing what your strengths are and how you can plan the day. So that's one of the things I think about too, is like, okay, I see this as a climbing out and all the way smooth going back. So if I want to push it, 
I can expect my speeds and I will know my speeds will be faster in the way back. So it won't be a surprise. It won't be like, well, I'm going yeah. so much faster. I hope I'm not burning myself out. Okay. I know the course. I know I'm not burning myself out. High cadence, smooth on the way yeah. out though. Gradual, stay within myself. Yeah. Then go, you know, on the way back. And that's really helpful because sometimes you're on a false flat, meaning mm-hmm. You just you think it's flat, but you're really going up a slight incline. But it could be really frustrating because it's hard her than you think it should be because yeah. it's a false flat. And so yeah, knowing right. you're going up that false flat helps you realize, well, I should be a little bit slower because I'm still going uphill. Now, one little thing about um, Arizona, and this is when I did it in April. This is before they changed it to the November course. The weather's different. The first year I did it, we had a tailwind on the way out. So Beeline Highway is where the climb is. We had a tailwind going up and I didn't know it the first loop. Well, after the first loop, I figured it out. And we had this horrific headwind Mm. while we were supposed to be going downhill fast. We had a headwind and I remember going like 10 miles an hour into this headwind and it was so hard Yeah, and it was not expected. I didn't know the wind conditions, but one good thing to me, a benefit of a looped course is once you get a feel of the wind and the weather, the first loop, you're a little bit more prepared for the the the, the last part of the course. Yeah. Uh, back to the ultra and how this can possibly apply to triathlon for their endurance athletes, our multi-sport athletes uh-huh. here, is an article that uh, you share with me about people using other pieces of equipment to prepare themselves or complement their training, for example, an elliptical or maybe a stair master or stairs. What do you call it? A stair? I call it a step mill. So the step, step mill. mills, the revolving stairs. Yes. And then the stair, the stair masters, you just go up and down with your feet, but the yes. step mills actually revolving stairs and it mimics. Mm-hmm. If you have like a, the right speed, it yep. mimics, um, like hiking up uphill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just how important that can be for those people who don't want to put the extra pounding or stress on their joints, but how this can, uh, almost enhance and, um, uh, I want to say not fortify, but, uh, to me, make I the say performance in yeah, to me, it creates a bigger engine. It creates a bigger yeah. aerobic engine because ultra aerobic, running yes. as well as ultra triathlon, it's all about having a big engine strength. It's all about strength endurance. And so, um, Someone like me, again, back in the days, even when I trained for triathlon, before I started ultra running, I would take advantage of if I was injured, I would do, I put a lot of time on the elliptical. And again, this is way back in the 90s before there was really any coaching going on or really articles. There was no internet. Um, So you just kind of, I just kind of did my own thing. And I spent a lot of time keeping up with my aerobic endurance when I couldn't run by doing the elliptical. At a, I used a heart rate monitor, so I would set it on a cadence that would mimic my run cadence, and I would try to, you know, get my heart rate up. And then I also complemented that with aqua jogging because aqua jogging helped me maintain more of a running motion, a running form, running style. So a combination of the of the two were really beneficial for me. And when it comes to like ultra running and cross training for an elevation course that step mill definitely is going to be dominant because it really gets your quads Mm -hmm. and it's the quads that you're going to use most of you're going to use your quads going up as well as going downhill. Mm -hmm. And it's that the eccentric contractions going downhill 
or the concentric contractions going downhill that really is going to um, trash your legs if you're not ready for it. So definitely cross training um, with even biking, I think gets that engine, your, your engine really high, that aerobic engine high that makes the ultra distances, um, but you're better prepared for them. This, this question here or a topic that we have on our list today, I know this is just one ultra running topic we've got, you know, first half hour of the program is, um, this is, they're, they're asking about Ironman Arizona being their first Ironman. And they're asking some mental strategies that you use to stay present and focused throughout an Ironman. So this can relate to both of us, Wendy, you and me, I, I can talk about my Ironman, uh, how to stay present and focused through what I'm preparing for actively. And for you throughout your, um, multiple Ironmans in the past, how have you evolved your ability to stay present and focused? Let's begin with you. Well, I think it's a great question. And all these questions we get, it reminds me of my early days when I started triathlon. Mm -hmm. This specific question um, reminds me of, of when I did Ironman Texas in 20, I think it was 2017. And Ironman Texas back then, it was kind of a boring course. It was on a highway. There was like, we had to do these two loops on the highway. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I recognized as I was preparing for this event is I do tend to drift off. My mind drifts during the 112 mile bike portion. And it either drifts because I, I start off too hard or it drifts because I need um, fuel, I need sugars. But for whatever reason, I would I, I caught myself drifting. And so specifically for Texas, I had a by then I had a power meter. And so I was totally putting 100 percent focus on my power during that course. And that kind of helped go get through it because mm -hmm. there was one section probably between mile 50 and 60 that I noticed my power was getting low and I'm like, Oh gosh, okay. I gotta, I gotta focus. I gotta readjust. Mm -hmm. And then I said, no, you gotta eat, you gotta eat your pretzels, eat your chips, eat whatever you have. And, and that's going to help my mind get more present, which is actually very helpful. And so most, this moves on to most of my Ironmans, I am 100% not only focused on my pace, power, effort, whatever I decide I'm going to use for that day. I'm really focused on my nutrition. Every 15 minutes, did I drink? Did I eat? An hour goes by. How much did I eat? How much did I drink? And so putting my focus on nutrition takes makes it go by quicker too. And, and then again, going back to your why, when you have those moments of, you know, maybe the weather's horrible, the wind, the rain, whatever reason, and you're just like, uh, I don't feel good. I'm not having a good day. Mm -hmm. Always going back to your why and your purpose and your reason. You know, I had some of those moments in my most recent, in that recent 50 K where I'm like, oh gosh, I'm running downhill. I'm not prepared for this. Why am I here? Well, <laughs> I enjoy, you know, this is all a training day. I really enjoy nature, even though it was raining all day. I'm like, I really enjoy being out here. This is all another experience to use, to learn from and use in the future. Making progress. If you're not making progress, then, then you just, the life is passing you by, right? right? You're standing right. still and you're learning, you're trying new things. I saw a quote or maybe it was a post somewhere about someone who was older and I think it was just in life. Like, why are you still doing this? because I'm making progress, because I'm seeking progress. Mm -hmm. Sure, I'm 60 years old. Someone's like, I'm 60, 70. Why do you keep trying doing these things? 
because I'm aiming for progress. If I don't progress, then game's over in a way. What am I doing? Am I just content? And then in contentment, it's over. I mean, that's I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah, progress. And that's what it's so inspiring. I hope for our listeners and, and our viewers that, you know, you at your age, not like you're old, but at your age, you're continuing to try new things and pushing yourself. And what you just said there, it's the experience. There's other things that you're trying to find and seek out and, and achieve and, and absorb. And it's fun. It's fun to see like, okay, why not? Let me, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not done just because I'm done with this part of my, this chapter of my multi-sport life, or I'm, I'm closing the chapter on this one. Why not just continue trying something different? This, this might be a good one to segue into this person's question here. Uh, where was it? It was about swimming. A newbie. Uh, is this the one? No, it was about workouts. Um, I lost where it is. Oh, uh, Melinda, I have an off-season question for you. I'm hoping to spend a few months focusing on swimming and strength this winter. I can't help but feel like I need to also run and bike to keep my discipline-specific fitness up. But, this is where it is, but I feel like I end up essentially doing a regular tri-plan with a slight emphasis towards swimming instead of really focusing on the swim itself because I'm adding the bike and the run in my off-season. Am I worrying too much about maintaining fitness in the other areas? Yes, you are worrying too much about maintaining areas um, of fitness or maintaining fitness in the other areas. And at the same time, you can maintain your fitness by cross training, by doing other things. You know, what I would suggest for you is, yes, you know, you want to focus on your swim, the off season, out of season, whatever you want to call it is a perfect opportunity to focus on that because it keeps you inside. Most people are more indoors during the fall and winter. And that's usually mm -hmm. when most people's out of season is, and you're going to sounds like swimming's your weak link. So you're going to make your weaker sport, uh, you know, step ups to match more your strengths, but that doesn't mean you, you can't ride or run. What it means is if it's a nice day, go out for a run or go out and bike. And, but, but lose the intensity, lose the details and don't follow any plan other than I'm going to go pedal my bike outside today, or I'm just going to go for a run. I don't know how long or how far, unless you have a, you know, this time limit, you can run between 12 and 1 PM, mm -hmm. but you're not, you're not, you're not following the details of, I have to do eight, 400 repeats at zone four during this run. You're just going out for a run. If you want to run hard, you make it a fart lick where you do some speed play. You run, you run hard to the stop sign, then you run easy and then you run hard for that block and then you run easy or you run hard uphill or you run hard downhill. And, and that's the speed play part of it. So, um, definitely it's, it's, it's an okay to get, lose a little bit of fitness in the off season. That's the point. You don't always want to maintain peak fitness. And the off season happens after you just did the peak race of your season. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, don't put so much stress on yourself that you can't do multi-sport. That's one reason we created a multi-sport out of season plan on training peaks, because that's something that some people want to do, especially someone who may be new to the sport. If you're a new, you're a year or two into the sport your off season is going to look something different than mine. Who's been in the sport for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Usually the newer athlete 
will do more of a multi-sport type of off season because they just started and they, they, they do what they will benefit from that experience of still multi-sport training in the off season. Just the duration and the intensity is going to look a little different. Yeah. I think if you are a newbie, it's, it's, you're almost playing catch up. So it's not that there's an off season for you. There's just a, a, a training. You just got to train, you got to catch up to what you haven't done before. And you're right. not, you're not, I don't know if you're going to, as a newbie, you will achieve peak fitness because you're catching up. You're entering the sport. So your peak fitness, you may, you may get to a peak of what your fitness can be based on right. your experience, but why not just train and train and train and work on some things here and there and build slowly, incrementally over the next, you know, 18 to 36 months, get something, get somewhere and then assess well, what's my future in the sport? Where are my fitness potential limits? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe a newbie can, yeah, you're, yeah, you're overthinking a little bit, Melinda. Just, just go. You're, you are. This is not. Is she a newbie? Can't remember. If she's a newbie. Someone else had a newbie question. But just go. No, but I think it's a very confusing time for, especially for you know, beginner and intermediate multi-sport athletes. The off season, out of season, fall, winter, it could be a very confusing time because there's just so much information, overwhelming information out there on the internet and in, mm-hmm. in social media groups, and it, it really just depends on the the person and their experience and what their goals are and why's. And you know, just just be sure to not force yourself to do anything and have fun with it. And and back off when you need to, because it's the time of year to be very flexible with your training schedule. But it's not the time of year that you take completely off either. You just want to make it a little bit different and a little bit more fun. You know, like for me, when I go outside and ride, I'm going to be on my mountain bike and I'm going to be on the road on Mm -hmm. my mountain bike just because my goal is just to get outside. It's Mm -hmm. 70 degrees. I'm going to go ride my bike Mm -hmm. with no other intention other than to enjoy the weather. Because it's so fresh in my my head, the question about uh, the mental strategies to stay present and focused throughout an Ironman, mm-hmm. my my answer to that is uh, I kind of reverse engineer the plan of uh-huh. the day. Uh, I need to have something left in the tank and knowing that in the Ironman for a newbie or anybody's, that's going to be the hardest part of it. So if I can save as much as possible pre-run, I want to put myself in the best position to run as strong as possible and knowing that I'll never be able to run the marathon on fresh legs, like I would be in, in training. So there's going to be, there's going to be, uh, I'm gonna have to pay the, pay some taxes before mm-hmm. I get there. So knowing that, all right, swim for me, I break it down. I'm, I'm new to do it. I break down the swim. And in this case, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a circular loop here. It's kind of a little left up and then down and back. They okay, changed a little bit here. So I know that, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to cut this in half. What, where, where do I need to be? Where should I be when I hit that turnaround? And I'll look at the buoys and stuff and I'll count buoys before the race. All right, I want to be at a certain time, hopefully, when I get to this point and then get in, build into a rhythm. I have some of the, my own swim issues, but build into a rhythm of speed, get there and stay there. And it's all about just like, okay, relax. This is not the race. This is not the race at all. The race is actually after the bike, but the bike for me, as I'm thinking about for this race, is maintaining and staying within a range and not extending myself. Mm-hmm. How can I be disciplined in not going too hard, staying within that because I want to have legs to run. And that's my race is to run. If I can do that, because my, my strength is my bike. Uh, run is my second and swim is, 
is fine. I, I can, I'm only going to be so fast because I'm only going to work so hard at swimming. I just know right. myself. Uh, this is my speed. I'm okay with it because I can make it up in the bike and that's my area of greatest growth. And then run. I'm, I'm tired. I'm getting ready to do a marathon after 112 miles of cycling at 19 for me, 19 miles per hour, for example, hopefully that I can get under a certain time and then look at the clock and go, all right, got two, uh, is it two loops? I say two loops here. They've, they've changed the, the run course, two loops. And I, I've already seen the map. All right, let's break this out. These, uh, these two to four mile blocks go out, have a time in mind, have a pace in mind. And mentally, and this helped me nine years ago, Roger, our friend said, know that you're going out for a four mile, four hour run. Just know that in the beginning to take away the pressure of, I have to go run right now. Mm-hmm. Running versus doing a marathon is different. You know, I'm not gonna go run a marathon. I'm not gonna go race a marathon. I'm gonna go do a marathon. Right, <laughs> I'm right. gonna survive a marathon. So in my head, if you're gonna talk about, this is your first Arizona, uh, first Ironman in Arizona, know you're gonna be out there for a while. There's no rush, just you know, break it up. And you would say, you know, maybe do it in four mile increments or six mile increments. In training, I think, all right, every hour I should be around six, seven miles. In training, that's where I'd be probably. So I look at the clock at seven miles, seven at one hour. Where am I? All right. Possibly, can I multiply that by four? Maybe not, but let's just kind of cruise the next. This is me t- thinking. All right, mm-hmm. I'm going to do my first hour, look at the clock. Second hour, did I negative split that second hour or was I steady? Steady's fine. Now, the third hour, can I go a little bit faster? What do I have in the tank? And after that third hour, now I'm left with an hour and change. What can I do? What's available? Where am I nutrition-wise? Where are my muscles? Where are my my hips and, and joints? How are they? But I know, as I did last time, little goosebumps going on right now, that I will get emotional because I'm going to lean on my why during my most difficult times. And my whys are going to be able to see my son and daughter at the end. Uh, more my son because he's more aware of what I'm doing and that's my why and I'll get like a little choked up I'll think all right I'm even though they don't remember I remember you know Mm -hmm. because they're so young four and a half and three I know what I'm doing and it means more to me and I can use that emotional fuel to overpower the mind to say when the body's saying oh you're done bud you're done no no I'm not done I'm not done until I cross and I'm going to cross strong. And I've got two poses, Wendy. I got two poses I'm mm-hmm. ready to do. And that's and that's weird. These little motivations, too, are in mind. Uh-huh. I want to make sure that there's no one behind me when I pose because I don't want to be in someone's picture. And I want someone else to be in my picture. I got two poses in mind. Uh, one's for me and one's for my son. It's kind of weird. I'm, I'm looking forward to and doing these poses. And then I'll have that's the photos awesome. at the end. And he'll get a kick out of it when he gets older. That's awesome. You know, something that you reminded me of two things during my 50K, I was, I personally ahead of time also broke it up into four eight mile runs. I've done eight mile runs plenty of times. If I can just do an eight mile run four times, I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But there was a guy ahead of me and uh, he did pretty good for the first half and then he faded. But I heard him talking to his friend and he said, you know, he's complaining his training's been really limited the last couple months and he's done a couple eight mile runs. And so I yelled, I was a little bit behind him, but I yelled, I said, good, just do 
do four of your eight mile runs that you've done in training. And they both appreciated it. They both kind of laughed. They're like, you're right. It's just, just break this up into four, eight mile runs. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a marathon, you know, you can do the same thing. You know, you, you can break up a marathon and do, you know, four 10 Ks plus a two K. Yeah. You know, you've done plenty of 10K runs in training, so just do four 10K runs plus a 2K or something like that. You know, you've done plenty of five-mile runs, 10-mile runs, however you want to break it up. I think it's important, especially an Ironman marathon, to break it up into shorter segments, shorter objectives, small-term goals to lead to the finish line is very helpful to keep you very present in what you're doing. Also, again, the goal is to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. So if you are end up being a run walker, whether you intend to be or not, it's probably going to happen. Come up with a strategy. I'm going to walk between or I'm going to walk the aid stations or I'm going to walk a minute, run a minute, walk a minute, run a minute. Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk the inclines, always run the declines because you're going to be faster that way. So there's a lot of strategies you can use to get through a marathon or, again, an ultra distance run event. You know, last uh, last podcast, I think it was maybe after our podcast, you and I spoke about my next upcoming long run, and I was debating uh -huh. whether I was going to do a 12 or I was going to do an 18 or possibly 20. Uh -huh. And then when we discussed, you know, how I'd approach it. Well, I started approaching. I ended up doing a 14, and I went out and with with your with your advice, because it was all going to be feel. I didn't I didn't know what I was going to do when uh -huh. I left the house. I, I didn't know my route. I, I didn't want to know my route. I wanted to make decisions at intersections or at crossroads, literally and figuratively. So I went out and I just went and I thought, okay, the first two miles, I'm not feeling it yet. So I just went out nice and casual. The first two miles were casual. And then um, I kind of picked up the pace a little bit and I took a left turn. And instead of staying close to home, I just kept going. I went further away. And in my mind, I'm going, all right, if I hit four miles, that means I'm eight miles. If I go five uh -huh. miles, I'm 10 miles. And then I started finding different loops. And I started visualizing these spots where I can make the biggest loop possible without having to repeat. Because if the closer I get to home, I want to stay home and not do some, you know, back and forth in front of my house, and, which I ended up having to do because I still was like a mile and a half short of 14, but I wasn't quite at 13. And I definitely want to do 13. Just like I need to know, you know, what the two hours feels like again and get them. Get, I wanted to do... Um, tax the body body mm -hmm. needed to feel that soreness or that fatigue. And I knew that 10 miles was definitely not going to be enough to feel because my longest runs only been 18. So ah, I need to do that. I have to do 12, got to do 13. Go, let's go 14. Cause I remember, you know, somewhere on my board, I had 14 as a, in a mindset. Let's do uh -huh. 14. So I ended up doing 14, but the first two were somewhat slow because I was still figuring things out. And then this is something I've experienced recently. And I wonder if you feel the same way in some of your, your uh, marathon runs is I got um, into a, not one of those flow states, but some kind of zone where not that I was sleepy, but I was just running and it didn't, I didn't feel like I was doing anything, but I was, I was still going at my pace. Mm -hmm. I was still running the pace that I was concurrently at, at my fastest average pace. But I was not, not that I wasn't present, but it was like I was just there and nothing bothered me. It was really weird that I was unconsciously running. Does that sound – have you been that no, place I think, before? No, I think that's part of uh, why we do what we do. I think that's a good feeling to accomplish and a good feeling to get. You know, I think I think – you know, as we train for more endurance type events, it takes our bodies a while to warm up. 
Mm-hmm. And we're just not someone who's just going to go out the door and start running at a at a specific race pace. And so the fact that you, you know, took you two miles to just kind of casually kind of get into it mm-hmm. and then you were into it, that tells me you were very, you were much enjoying, you were enjoying going for a run. You were really well, enjoying the experience that you had because you weren't like, you didn't have your focus on your watch or the route no, no, or the I mileage. Just went. You were just yeah. running to run. And because of the, I don't, my volume is not where it should be, but because I've had, some, you know, anything's over 10, 12s is the area that I'm shooting for. Anywhere in the five and six is easy because I've built up to that point. Right. So in these six to nine mile ranges, it becomes very easy. And I think that's maybe where these, these, uh, these experiences are coming in most between six and eight or nine or 10 miles. Like, oh, this is so easy because right. I've been here and it's like not boring, but it's, effortless for sure yeah and that felt good i don't know if it does that's that that must just come with the volume you put in it's like oh in this this stretch here i'm kind of going through the motions it doesn't hurt it's not hard it's i'm just getting past these miles and they're going by i'm not something go by fast but they're going by without thinking yeah yeah like 10 miles used to be a long run for me 10 miles but i've done so many 10 mile runs and beyond that 10 miles it's kind of a, just an everyday distance, not, not yeah, right now, cold. but when I'm training for ultra, it's 10 miles becomes more of your kind of daily distance, yeah, you know, eight yeah. to 10 miles. And, and then you want to, you want to get that feeling of your exceeding your, your mileage or you're getting that, you know, dead lake feeling that you want to get. And sometimes, oh my gosh, I have to get to 16 to 20 miles to feel that yeah. because, you know, 16 miles kind of is a piece of cake. You know, when I got to 16 miles and the 30 K I'm like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't bad. 16 miles on a trail took me four hours. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling three hours and 45 minutes. I'm feeling pretty good. And I just ran 16 miles. It wasn't that bad. It's because I've, I've done extended and done so many ultra distances that those long runs that used to be long, aren't so long anymore. (laughs) And this is something I'll have to remind myself. And it was, it at Ironman Arizona of all places in, in uh, nine years ago mm-hmm. is that we were, I think maybe a couple of miles away from the finish line. And I, I was running up on a, on a lady who was running and she was saying like uh, something about, I still have, and then X amount of miles to go. That's what it was. Uh-huh. I still have so many, we still have so many miles to go. And I said, and in the moment I said, but look how many miles we've already gone. Right. And in that, that little switch, even for myself at the moment, it's like, yeah, but look how far we've come so far. Right. And we only have that many to go. Mm-hmm. And this is this just going back to the person who asked the question as their, this being their first Ironman is if you can remind yourself after the bike is over, for example, not that you have a marathon to run, but look how far you've come already. You've gone mm-hmm. over 114 miles. You've traversed, you've moved your body 114 miles you only got 26 to go. And then when you're halfway and it's like, Oh my God, I still have a half marathon. You've already accomplished a half marathon. You only have a half marathon to go on the day and then you can relax. It's almost over. That's great. Yeah. That's one of those things too. It was like the pain's going to be over soon. You know, it's going to be over soon. I don't want to regret this moment of like slowing down. That's, that's one of my little mental things too. It's like, Oh, I don't want to, push through, push, push, because in a matter of an hour or a matter of so many miles, it's going to be over. And then 
Well, I said I could have pushed in this section. Let's see what happens. Let me just right. push because it's going to be over real soon and I can't feel it. To be in that moment, I mean, I'm just excited about it, Wendy. I to love be it. in this it's moment great. of pain or this being this moment of accomplishment in it before it's over, it's it, it's hard to get there. And I know for me, it's all these months, all these hours of putting in and I don't want, I'm not going to quit. Obviously, I'm not going to quit now, but putting all this time in, I want to be in that moment as long as possible, but every second clicks away and it's almost over, but I want to be in it as long as possible mm-hmm. because I've earned it. And I think that's the first, the third person who's doing the, the Ironman the first time you've earned being here. You've earned this feeling that you can only experience while you're in it and it's mm-hmm. over and it's like, ah, and that's why people sign up the next day. It's like, crap, right. I want right. to feel this again. It's overwhelming to get here, but I love this feeling now. Uh-huh. That's what I, I'm looking forward to that part of it. And no matter how fit I am or the lack of fitness I have, you can always power through it. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm excited to feel that feeling, as you can tell. It's a great feeling. I understand. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> You've done it 21 times at the full distance and countless ultras. I know you know. So people listening. You'll know if you have tell tell someone and and I guess we everyone sees it on the faces of the finishers right in those final miles mm-hmm. you know <sighs> wow this is a long podcast and we went cover only like two or three topics yeah there's a lot there's a lot we covered in those two or three topics though agreed agreed <laughs> all right well this is gonna be the last one because I leave next week uh, Tuesday. So I'm not going to podcast from Arizona because I'm not going to have my equipment. It's just kind of a, it's a big family vacation, by the way. We've got 10 people going down, nice. not just for my, it's not for me. It just happens to be, hey, Dave's doing the air, you know, air, oh. Ironman in Arizona. Let's go down and do a vacation at the same time and maybe we'll go watch. Nice. <laughs> Only a few people are going to watch. One year, Anyhow. one year I went, I think it was my first one that I did in November on mm-hmm. 07. My husband played golf. It was great while I was on the bike course and I was yeah. so happy he was occupied and not waiting for me per se. Yeah. He was out there playing golf. As long as I told him, as long as you're there at the finish line, I don't care what you do all day. I just want you there at the finish line. Ah. And so if your friends and family like to play golf, there's a lot of good golf courses around. Yeah, that's one thing I do look forward to. And I've already told my wife this is with a bike course, there's three, three loops. So at the, at the hot corner down by the transition mm-hmm. they can be there and it's 38 miles 39 miles something like that mm-hmm. yeah about 38 miles or 37 miles on the loop so i know how long it'll take me approximately she'll know how long it'll take me so she can plan to be there at a certain point i guess you can also track the iron man right, tracker right exactly but i in those 10 seconds or 20 seconds that i can see here as i come down and do the loop i look forward to that that's kind of like mm-hmm. i'm that's there's there's a little bit of the whys i want to get to the turnaround so i can say hi yeah. I want to get to the turnaround and just give her a look like here I am or just give give a five second update. Doing good, feeling good, strong, or like ah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the same thing on the on the run, which is gonna just it's gonna be out one, one, two. There's gonna be a couple of, of spots where they can go, but I wanna see them. And then same thing with the uh quarter lane half, even though it was a half, there was a couple of loops. It's like unfortunately she, I didn't see her on the loop because the timing of it. But I saw him at the very finish, and it was like, that's what I was looking forward to. And it was a little bit of a let, let, letdown. And I, I, I was by myself. I don't see somebody I know. Uh-huh. But if I do know they're there, that can be a little bit of a push. Nice. A little bit of a push. All right, my friend. Um, yeah. 
that's it for today. That's it for this 380, 380 episodes. Yeah, have a great race next week. We'll be tracking you. I'll be t- I'll talk to you next week anyway, just to so you so I, I someone who doesn't talk me out of it. <laughs> I've already bo- I've already boxed up my bike because uh, I'm gonna be as you know, prepared as possible. Uh-huh. So I haven't I haven't boxed my bike up since 2016. Uh-huh. And uh, yesterday when I was disassembling the aero bars, one of the bolts got stripped, and I couldn't undo it, and it needs to be undone to fit in the bike mm-hmm. box. So I had to make a run to the bike shop. Luckily, I'm doing that did it yesterday. Otherwise, I would have been screwed if I would have waited the day before because it stripped. That's right. how long it's been. It was too tight. I I stripped it. Wow. And I didn't make, make another adjustment too. But yeah, just don't want to be stressed on this part of it with traveling with a box, right. a bike box. Okay, I'll talk to you next week. Cool. Um, for Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Thanks so much for listening to uh, this epic podcast today. Uh, we hope you have a great week of racing, training, or recovery. i got a lot to talk about in a couple of weeks when we see you next time. Until then, adios. Adios. Mm-hmm.